Welcome to Instant Reaction to the New York Yankees' victory over the New York Mets, which ended seconds ago at Citi Field. The Yankees have defeated the Mets yet again. If you go back to last year where they swept the Mets, that's four plus the two this year is six. The Mets have now lost eight in a row. This homestand has been a nightmare. They got swept by the Chicago Cubs. They got swept by the Baltimore Orioles. And they're about to be swept by the New York Yankees. Hi, everybody. I'm in a splendid mood. And, you know, there's so much from this game. Let me start at the end with Aroldis Chapman, who is very wild. He walks Jay Bruce. Gary Sanchez screws him on a strike because he can't hold on to the baseball. I'll rip Gary later because I'm going to get to the Yankee end of this thing as well. So Chapman is wild. He walks Jay Bruce. He very easily strikes out Devin Messerocco. And what does that tell you about Michael Conforto? I mean, think about this for a second. If at the beginning of the season I told you Michael Conforto, remember him, all-star, one of the core guys to build around, he's going to be pinch hit for for Devin Messerocco. Obviously, Messerocco wasn't even on this Met team, but Devin Messerocco's hit about 169 since 2015. That's what he's done. And... And I'm not ripping the move. I'm just telling you this is how far Michael Conforto has fallen. He's being pinch hit for in the ninth inning for Devin Messerocco. Jose Batista strikes out looking. Kevin Ploiecki's lucky as hell because the rolled his chap and couldn't find the strike zone. And then here's Jose Reyes. And I don't know why. I think it's because I'm a sucker. I actually thought Reyes was going to come through. And what really killed him was that first pitch. That was his pitch to hit, and he fouls it off. And he fouls a few off, and off the bat, the final play of this game actually looks like Reyes' hardest hit ball of the year. A line drive right at Aaron Judge. How fitting. Aaron Judge missed the perfect, and he is missed the perfect. Catches it, and the Mets are proving now to everybody that having a good pitching staff, a starting pitching staff, having a good starting pitching staff means zero. Because it is remarkable how well they have pitched and how awful they are at everything else. They can hit. They did tease you with the three runs early. They can't field. They're not athletic. Their bullpen sucks. I mean, (laughs) Anthony Swarzak, hi, good to see you pitching now. I kind of miss him being on the disabled list. And I know I should be now kind of numb to this because this season is over. There's seven games under 500. What is the point of getting angry? And I think why I get angry, and it's not just that they lost to the Yankees. It's not just that. It's the fact that they lose games they could win nightly. They lose games they should win. They start this game as if this is going to finally be the day the offense breaks out. They started off with Todd Frazier, of all people, finally hitting a home run, only his sixth of the year. It continues with Nimmo with a triple. He's had a bunch of those. And even as Drupal Cabrera, who's looked lost over the last week, hitting a two-run homer on an 0-2 pitch. And you're thinking, all right, well, you know, it, it is Domingo Herman. I mean, the guy is 0-4 with a 5.5 ERA. Okay. The Mets are going to finally break out. They're going to get a victory. They'll lose Sunday night. Kind of a nondescript lose two out of three moment. And, you know, we'll get to Matt's, and I'll get to him, and we'll get to this bullpen. 
And I do want to be fair and give the Yankee side of it. And the Yankee side is that Domingo Herman really settled down. <laughs> yeah, but come on. I can't say that with a straight face. Because even Yankee fans know. Was it really Domingo Herman settling down? Or was it the Mets settling into what they are? And that is a putrid, putrid, putrid offense. And when you miss opportunities, and let's go through the opportunities they missed. Because they missed them. The third inning was a golden opportunity. Rosario gets an infield hit. He actually steals a base. God forbid a guy steals a base. Nimmo gets hit by a pitch on an 0-2 pitch, which I love. One thing about Nimmo I love is that he does not mind stepping into one, especially when he's behind in the count. Two on, one out as Drupal Cabrera. Back to being as Drupal. And Jay Bruce continuing to be just beyond how anyone could have thought how awful he could have been. I mean, it's it's... It's almost unimaginable how bad he's been. I guess they blew an opportunity in the fourth. Steven Matz was the guy at the plate. But you know what? Call me crazy. I remember a time. I don't know if you guys remember. Do you remember when Steven Matz was actually a competent hitter? I sort of do. I remember his major league debut. I think it was against the Cincinnati Reds. He had a big double off the wall in that game. But here's the opportunity where I think Mickey Calloway, this brilliant, brilliant manager that we are so lucky to have, where he blew this game. So Matt's gives up the lead, and I'm going to get to Matt's in a second, but I want to stick with the offense for now. This podcast may go an hour. It may, because I got a lot to say. <laughs> and God knows it. And part of why I like doing this one is that by the time Joe and I are on the air Monday at 10 a.m., and I don't know when you're listening to this. You could be listening to this right after the game, maybe Sunday, or maybe soon after that. I don't know how much attention we're actually going to give to this game. So that's why it's fun to actually break it down. So... Adrian Gonzalez does something that gets me all excited. He goes the other way with the Yankees having the shift on and pokes a double against David Robertson. And so here the Mets are in business with a runner on second and nobody out. First of all, Kevin Ploiecki, okay? We get it. You're not much of a hitter. All I'm asking, I'm asking for something so freaking simple. Kevin Ploiecki seems to be really adept at hitting ground outs. I just get that feeling. I don't have a stat to back me up. It feels like everything is a ground ball to shortstop. Now, I'm not asking a ground ball to shortstop, Kev. I'm asking you to tap the freaking baseball to second base. That's all I'm asking. Tap the baseball against David Robertson. Just tap it. Give it a nice little nudge and play little ball. Move Gonzalez to third base. Number one, thoughts going through my mind. Shouldn't Mickey Calloway pinch run for Adrian Gonzalez, who runs the base pass like he's got something in his pants? I mean, like he went to the bathroom is basically what I'm trying to say. No, no, I don't need to pinch run for him. Don't worry, don't worry about it, guys. I mean, it is a tie game in the bottom of the seventh inning. But no, I'll let Adrian, who runs around like he's got 50-pound shoes, I'll let him run at second base. Cool, no biggie, no biggie. And the truth is, that decision, as stupid as it is, did not impact them. But I like to point out these decisions, whether it impacts them or it doesn't impact them. Ploiecki can't nudge the baseball to second base. He strikes out and give David Robertson credit because David Robertson has been shaky this year, but he still has that Houdini act where he can get out of any jam. So let me get to the part that really annoys me. The Mets have a runner on second and one out. It is a tie game. You know... You know, despite the Mets being at home, you need to take the lead as fast as humanly possible. Why, you ask? Because your bullpen sucks. Because the Yankees are a home run hitting machine. Because they will score runs. 
maybe you'll get lucky to get six outs before they score runs. But you better score runs in a hurry. So the one thing I don't want to see from this manager is you saving guys for the ninth inning. There doesn't have to be a ninth inning if you come through with a big hit in the seventh inning. Where am I going? Luis Guillerme as a pinch hitter? Luis Guillerme. And remember, this is the first guy Mickey went to off the bench. Now, granted, he's got nobody on this bench because Major League Baseball general managers hate having guys on their bench. They need to have 74 crappy relief pitchers. So you're already dealing in a tough spot. And remember, what is your bench if you're Mickey Calloway? I get it. Luis Guillerme, who hasn't proven to do anything. Jose Reyes, who looks done. Devin Messeraco, who's your backup catcher. But then wait a second. A guy named Jose Bautista. And you know what really sucks for Mickey Calloway? This this has to really suck for him. We are not all complete morons. And what I mean by that is a lot of us have iPads and computers. And we're able to look things up. So I was really passionate at this moment that Jose Bautista needs to be the hitter. Why are you sending up Luis Guillerme in a spot where you need to get a big hit? And I thought to myself, you know what, Evan? What do you know? That's what I'm saying to myself. What the hell do you know? I bet you if you look up Batista's career numbers against Robertson, Mickey's a smart guy. I bet he's two for 20. I bet you he can't hit David Robertson. There's got to be a good reason for why this brilliant manager didn't send up clearly. It's not even close. His best pinch hitter of the options he has with a runner on second in a one out in the seventh inning after the game was recently tied. There's got to be a reason. So I say, you know, Mickey knows. I'm pretty sure it's going to say this. So I quickly get on. I do David Robertson versus the Mets. Mets current Mets hitters. Here's what I come up with. You ready for this, folks? Here, here we go. You'll love this. Jose Batista's 5 for 17 with two home runs. That's a 294 average. He's got a 706 slugging percentage. That's an OPS of 1,206. 17 at-bats, okay? Not, not five at-bats, not three at-bats, 17 at-bats. And yet this manager sends up Luis Guillerme in a huge spot. It's a huge spot. You're not thinking what I'm thinking, which is you better score runs right now. You're not thinking that in the seventh inning. Now, I want to give Guillerme a little bit of credit because I'm fair. He hit the ball well. He hit a line drive. I understand that. Absolutely did. And off the bat, thought for a second, hey, maybe, he's, maybe Mickey's going to get lucky. And that's the key word, lucky. Sometimes you can make bad decisions and they can work. And guess what? Sometimes you can make good decisions and they don't work. This was a bad decision and it didn't work. Bottom line. Dellen Batances is the greatest human, is the greatest pitcher of all time. I mean, that's the way he looked in the eighth inning. And I'm going to get to the Yankee side of it in a bit because that does have to pump you up. Now, he's using his bench against Chapman, so you may be thinking to yourself, well, he's saving Batista to face Chapman. If that's what you're thinking... You are managing like a loser because in the seventh inning of a tie game, you cannot be thinking about a Roldish Chapman when I'm down runs. You have to be thinking, it's tied, let me win this game. And I don't know what would happen. I have no idea. Maybe Batista strikes out. Maybe it's a two-run home run. But we'll never know because this manager made a bad decision. I'm not saying, by the way, this manager is the reason they've lost eight in a row, is the reason they can't win at City Field, is the reason they are sinking faster than the Titanic. 
I'm not saying he's the reason, but I am saying he contributes to it. As far as the pitching is concerned, look, Steven Matz was okay, all right? Uh, he made a very, very bad pitch and big mistake to Miguel Andahar. He also made a mistake walking Gary Sanchez ahead of him, and Matz had some control issues. After the first three innings, when he didn't walk anybody, he actually walked all four of his guys in the final three, three frames that he pitched. He did show a little bit of poise the way he got out of the jam in the fifth inning. He did get Aaron Judge to ground out. He battled Glaber Torres to a strikeout. Look, six innings, three runs is the definition of a quality start, okay? It should be good enough to win games occasionally. It should definitely be good enough to keep you in a game. But I don't blame Steven Matz. I blame this offense, and I'll get to Anthony Swarzak. I, I blame the offense. They scored three runs in the first inning and did nothing after that. And I think Steven Matz, while this is a very average outing, and I think it's disappointing that he gives up the bomb to Andujar, I think he is showing signs that he is growing up as a pitcher. You know what I mean? He picks off Hicks early in this game in the first inning. Remember, everybody's run all over Steven Matz, and Aaron Hicks was actually running on Steven Matz and wheels around and picks him off. He got through a couple of jams, got Andahar to bounce into a big double play. I mentioned that tough at-bat against Torres. He gets Aaron Judge out with the bases loaded. Made a bad pitch to Andahar. But like I said at the top, the Mets are proving that you can have really good starting pitching, and their starting pitching's been really good, and still find ways to lose, which they have been doing on an incredible, incredible basis. As far as this lineup is concerned, this lineup makes zero sense. Now, when you've lost as many games in a row and you can't score runs, I'm not going to go nuts about it. You have to try anything. I mentioned on the Saturday show today when my microphone wasn't cutting in and out, I mentioned that, and that was my fault, I think. I mentioned that, try anything if you're Mickey. Person called in and said the Mets should have a brawl. That's fine. Do whatever you want. Get ejected from a game. We saw Drupal Cabrera get ejected in the most meaningless situation ever. It's not when he struck out looking at in the eighth inning. It was after he played defense in the ninth inning. So, whatever. Did it work? Did it spark the Mets? Not really. But this lineup is a joke. I mean, seriously. Ahmed Rosario is a leadoff hitter. Guy can't get on base. Guy can't throw a walk. And I'm not giving up on the guy, but he's not a leadoff hitter in any way. Is Todd Frazier a two-hitter? I guess. I mean, in 2018, I guess, I guess he could be a two-hitter. Nimmo, look, Brandon Nimmo, despite a recent slump, has been productive enough where you can hit him anywhere because he gets on base at such a high clip that ideally he'd be leading off, but he also does have eight home runs. Here's the problem. You could juggle this thing as much as you want. If you stink, you stink. You know, if Jay Bruce is going to get offers, it's not going to make a difference. If Michael Conforto is going to take some offers, it's not going to make a difference. Not going to make a difference. But let's all be fair. The lineup makes absolutely sense. I'm going to get to the Yoannis injury later. I want to get to the Yankee perspective on things because I tell you, the thing that jumps out at you besides the fact that this lineup is insane and we're not even talking about Aaron Judge and Giancarlo and Gary because Gary Sanchez is going through a massive slump and I'm going to rip him in a little bit. It's the fact that Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres are going to battle for the Rookie of the Year now. I mean, they bring guys up, and a lot of credit goes to this farm system in the way they develop guys. What's his name? Oppenheimer? Give him credit. Give Cashman credit. Give guys credit that we don't even know the name of because 
these kids come up here, this isn't once or twice or three. They are so good when they get here. I mean, Glaber Torres, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. The guy has 11 home runs. He never hit even close to that in as small of a sample size as we've seen. Andujar, almost very quietly, he is the forgotten guy. Really is. He hits a huge home run in the sixth inning to tie this game up. The guy has eight home runs and 28 RBIs. And what's scary about this, these guys are so young, they may get better and better and better, and this has a chance to be a lineup that is going to be fearsome for a million years. What, what could possibly slow this down besides injuries? And that's the scary thing. I mean, just watching them as an opponent. Usually I watch the Yankees as a baseball fan, not as somebody who's sitting there. I know this will disappoint some Mets fans. I don't sit there watching them, you know, hating them on every pitch and rooting against them on every pitch. I watch them as a baseball fan. This weekend's a little bit different. It is impossible to face this lineup. Even with the pitcher batting eighth, the only time I as a fan was able to take a deep breath is when Tyler Austin is coming up. That's it. And that, that's the only guy. And when Greg Burt plays, who usually plays, they're actually hitting him towards the top of the order. And even though Burt has struggled and his average is dipped below 200, he's still a guy that scares me a little bit. You've got Glaber Torres hitting ninth. The guy's got an OPS of like 940. He has 11 home runs. He has 29 RBIs. This lineup is filthy. Now, let me give you some negatives, though, because I have to, right? I have been, and I'll still be in many ways, a big defender of Gary Sanchez. I think some of the rips that have come his way from Yankee fans have been over the top. He's terrible defensively. They have to trade him. They have to move him to first base. All of that. This slump, let's put to the side. I think most of us, even the irrational Yankee fan, would tell you, look, he's still on pace to 30 home runs and driving close to 100 runs. It's a long slump. He's going to get hot. The fact that he's on pace to go 30 and 100, despite the fact that his average is dipped below 200, despite the fact his OPS is in the mid-700s, you're not worried about that aspect. I am starting to get worried about his defense. I have defended him in the past because he's been so good at throwing base runners out. He's not done that this year. He has not thrown base runners out. I don't blame him for the Rosario steal. I think that was mostly against Herman. But here's where you got to kill him from this game. How many times did he cost his pitcher a strike? And the biggest time he did that was in the ninth inning, in the Jay Bruce at-bat. And I forget if it was 1-0 or 2-0, but it was one of those pitches in which clearly this umpire, Toon Payne, and it's on him, you've got to be better than kind of letting the catcher dropping a baseball affect what's a ball or a strike. It should have nothing to do with it, though if you watch enough baseball, it does. And the framing of pitches impacts a game, and boxing a ball behind the plate impacts a game. Now, sometimes you will see an umpire ignore that and call a strike anyway. But that borderline call is never going to go your way. And in this game, I counted either two or three times where Gary Sanchez's defense and his inability to cleanly catch a baseball or frame it incorrectly, there was one pitch in which it was, to me, a strike, and he had such a difficult time. He didn't drop it, but his glove kind of went down and to the right, and I think it screwed Tum Payne up. Now, did Tum Payne have a bad game? Yes, I think he had a bad game. I think he had a rough game. I think there were a lot of calls on both sides that he completely botched, right? So Beningo is here. Here's what he, Bro, these umpires, they're all terrible, bro. 
I think my Beningo imitation is worse when I'm angry after a Met game at, you know, whatever time it is. But in fairness, Gary had a rough day. And we got called like we see it. Gary's had a rough day. And Gary's had a rough season defensively. He's not throwing guys out. We know about the pass balls. We know about the wild pitches. I think there was one wild pitch in this game. It wasn't completely on him. But I don't know what it is. You, what you don't want to see from a player, and it doesn't matter the sport, is a guy go backwards. You want to see guys get better and better and better. And this is a simple thing that Gary is struggling at. It's just working harder at it. That's all it is. Framing a pitch, boxing pitches that are clearly strikes. The slump is a completely different animal. I'm not going to get on him for it because I'm not worried about that. I really, I'm, I'm not. How can you be? It's too early. I think the guy's done enough offensively in his career that you have to believe he's going to get it going, especially considering he does have, very quietly, 12 home runs and 35 RBIs. He does, in fairness. But he had a rough day defensively. Very rough day. And you know what move I question with Mooney? I'll give you the move I question. Uh, turned out to not be a big deal. Look, they won anyway. I think Brett Gardner is so locked in. And I'm not saying he should have started today. I totally get why you put Hicks out there. You need to get Hicks in the lineup. A, a tough lefty in Steven Matz, and Hicks sort of delivered. He had that double in the first inning that went through the door. What the hell was that about? He drew a walk in the fifth inning. So I have no problem, even though Brett Gardner was the hero yesterday, I have no problem sitting him. I really don't. Where I had an issue to a degree is, so Gardner comes up to pinch it in the seventh inning. He's facing Robert Gazelman, has just, I mean, he has a Gardnerian at bat. Is that a word yet? Gardnerian? Whatever you want to call it. Has a Gardnerian at bat. Draws a walk. Obviously, it doesn't matter because Glaber bounced into the double play. Todd Frazier made a very good play on that. I thought because Hicks made the last out, you double switch it, leave Gardner in the game so his bat is there. And, yeah, obviously, the pitcher spot will now be in the number one hole. But I don't think that's that big of a deal. You have Neil Walker on your bench. You even have Austin Romine, who's actually hit the baseball very well. You have Ronald Torres, who they ended up using. You even have Greg Bird, who they ended up using to pinch it for Tyler Austin. I would have kept Gardner in the game. Now, it turned out to not matter. I admit that because think about it. His at-bat never came up in the eighth inning, never came up because Bird grounded out. And by the ninth inning, you know, Torres grounded out. They didn't score a run. Not a big deal. I was just surprised by it. I'm just making an observation. Just an observation. Not a big deal. When you win, it doesn't really matter. Here's the other thing about the Yankees. Okay, this, this has to get you. <laughs> I was going to use an analogy. Uh, and even though it's a podcast, you never know. The kids could be listening. This should get you very excited if you're a Yankee fan. Dellen Batances. Because Dellen Batances last year, was awful to the point where Joe Girardi, and I don't mean the whole season, but certainly towards the end, Joe Girardi couldn't go to him, had no confidence in him. There were plenty of Yankee fans saying, get rid of the guy, the guy stinks, he's done, move on, blah, 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 blah. The thing I always held on to with Dylan is that we've seen this guy dominate at times, and not just for a month. We've seen him dominate for a long time. You know it's in him. You know he's capable of it. And what you need to do if you're Boone is to be smart about it. So... When you bring him out for a second inning, time after time after time, and you notice that he's not that good when you bring him out for a second inning, don't bring him out for a second inning. But this is a guy, and we forget this, in 2014 as a rookie, I think he was a rookie that year because he hadn't pitched that much in the previous years, he pitched to a 1.4 ERA. 1.4. Out of the bullpen, he was an all-star. The following year, all-star game again, 1.5 ERA. 
The year after that, I think his ERA was higher and he lost a bunch of games. But if I'm not mistaken, from April until August, he was disgusting and then just had an awful September. And we know about last year where his numbers ended up pretty good, but he fell off again at the end to the point where Joe Girardi had no confidence in him. More times than not, the guy's been awesome. And what you saw today against, I mean, is it the heart of the Met order? Sure. Is it the heart of most normal orders? No. But he was ridiculous. He was unhittable. And I'm convinced that it wouldn't have mattered who he was facing. He was going to dominate everybody. And I understood the point or the thought of, hey, let him come out for the ninth inning. You're not going to do that because he's leading off the inning, so you're going to pinch it. So unless you did the double switch, and you would have had to have done it in a different way to allow him not to come up in the ninth inning, you can do that, especially to give Chapman a day. So I understand it, but Boone didn't show the foresight to double switch it so you didn't have to pinch it for him. But he was insane in the eighth inning. So now think about this. The starting pitching worries you back end, not the front end, not Severino, not even CeCe, and you're starting to feel good about Sonny Gray, and you should feel somewhat okay about Herman, even though it's the Mets. This bullpen now is really coming into form. Chapman's been great all year. Chad Green has had a very solid season. Robertson is figuring it out, and Batantis is filthy, and even Jonathan Holder's been pretty good. The point is, they can survive. I'm not talking about the playoffs here. I'm talking about the long haul right now without Tanaka for however long they miss him and Herman being in this rotation. They can survive it because of their offense and their bullpen. They can win games when maybe it's A.J. Cole, maybe it's somebody else makes those starts. They can. They're good enough. And then you got the Mets who have really good starting pitching and they can't win. <laughs> so maybe this whole starting pitching thing is completely overrated. Clearly it is. Let me get to Yoannis. So I've mentioned this on the air recently. I have been looking at the minor league baseball app a lot lately. I have because the Mets season is going down the tubes. The Yankees have a loaded farm system. So I've downloaded the app. I actually check it on a daily basis. And usually it's for Peter Alonso. So I don't remember what time it was, but I checked it. And I wasn't even thinking about Cespedes. I got to be honest. I was thinking about Alonzo. I was thinking about basically that's it. That's all I was thinking about. I certainly wasn't thinking about any pitcher. I wasn't thinking about Molina, Marcos Molina, who just stinks and pitches to a 70 RA. Wasn't thinking about him. I guess you could save this if Molina gets to the majors in three years and you know wins a Cy Young, but come on, that ain't happening. So I see Yoannis went two for two with two doubles. And he was out of the game. Didn't think much of it. Just thought, okay, it's two for two with two doubles. He's ready. Let's go. Get him up here. And then I hear via Twitter, that evil Twitter, uh, I need to unlock the other 80% of Twitter. Well, part of the other percentage of Twitter was Yoannis felt stiffness in his side. Are you freaking kidding me with this guy? And I'm not saying he isn't hurt. I'm not saying that. I'm not even going to go with the does the guy want to play thing. I'm not even going to say that. But how is he built, how does he train that if he moves, he pulls a muscle? What is he doing wrong? I thought he was going to do a whole stretching thing. He wasn't going to be lifting weight. He was going to do something different. This is a guy now who you have to have zero confidence he could get through a week healthy. He gave the Mets so much in 2015, I'll never forget it. And he gave them a lot in 2016, I'll admit that, even though he missed time that year too. And even though in that wild card game, he did nothing. He was awful. 
but so was everybody against the great Matt Bum. But you look at last year. This guy could not stay on the field. And you look at this year. Isn't it kind of the same thing? And I'm deeply concerned he's a front runner. That comment he made about, hey, I'm excited to be back, but boy, I ain't going to make much of a difference. You know, I thought about this because I said earlier on the Saturday show, he's sort of right. I was thinking about it. I'm, no, no, I, I changed my mind. He isn't sort of right. You know why he's wrong? The Mets keep losing games in which one big hit could have made a difference. They keep losing games in which it's clearly their offense. They keep losing games in which their starting pitching pitch well enough to win. So you know what? Yoannis Cespedes could make a difference. If Yoannis Cespedes came back, dare I say it, and was going through one of those really, really, really big hot streaks, you know, the one that we saw in 2015 when he's hitting the ball all over the place, he's hitting 17 home runs in 57 games, if he had one of those runs, the Mets would be winning daily. I mean, think about it. If Yoannis is in the middle of the order today, maybe Jay Bruce isn't playing and is 0 for 3 with a walk, and Yoannis hits a home run, the Mets probably win. If Yoannis is in the lineup yesterday, or I should say Friday, because God knows when anybody's listening, I'm learning this whole podcast thing. And instead of Conforto's 0 for 4, Jay Bruce's weak 0 for 3 or whatever it was, Yoannis is in the lineup, and he has a couple of doubles. The Mets win, or they could win, or it's a different game to say the least. So I've changed my mind. He's wrong. He's actually wrong. If the Mets are going to pitch this well, Yoannis Cespedes could be the difference between 27 and 33 and, let's say, three more wins. So that would be 30 and 30. He could be the difference. You're telling me there aren't three or four games the Mets have played during this run that they could have won if they had this guy in the middle of the order? I don't think he doesn't want to play. I know that's a double negative. I believe he wants to play. I believe his body at 32 is completely failing him, and we were all wrong about re-signing him. And I, it came down to the whole, he did so much in 15, he did so much in 16, and it came down to an argument that I will always make and a lot of people will make, but it's a real flawed argument. And that's, well, if they don't re-sign him, what are they going to do? And that's a problem because if it's a bad contract and it's a bad investment, it's a bad contract and it's a bad investment, even if it's the best guy out there. It is turning out to be an absolute mistake. And I'm not saying that they would have invested the money in a different way, but maybe if they didn't re-sign Yoannis and ticked us all off, because it would have ticked us all off, Maybe the following year, as in this past year, they sign Eric Hosmer, which could make a difference. I admit I'm being a Monday morning quarterback because I wanted the guy back. But I think we all have to come to the conclusion right now, and not conclusion, but at least the opinion that as we sit here in June, as the season spirals, this has been a massive mistake. And I don't know what his Met legacy is going to be if this contract turns out to be the disaster it's looking like. Because the contract, you can say, is unrelated, not unrelated, but not connected to what he did in 15 and 16. Because his new contract was signed after the 16 season. And it is turning out to be a disaster. And here's what's depressing about it. Anytime the Mets have a free agent contract that turns into a disaster, you're scared 
that ownership and this general manager is going to say, see, this is why you don't sign free agents. This is why you don't sign Manny Machato. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. So here we are. The New York Yankees own this town. They look like they're on the verge of being an all-time great team, not just today, but for the next half a decade. And the Mets look like they're going through the doldrums. This feels, I can't believe I'm saying this, but this feels like the worst time ever to be a Met fan versus a Yankee fan. Even worse than the 90s, and I'll tell you why. Because in the late 90s, when the Yankees were winning, and 96, sure, the Mets were awful, but 98, the Mets won 88 games. They were in a playoff race. 99, the Mets won the uh, the Mets went to the NLCS, and we all know what happened. The Yankees won the World Series. In 2000, well, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that alone. In 2001, the Mets were in a pennant race until Brian Jordan crushed everybody's hopes as the Yankees got to a World Series. And after that, the Yankees were still very good, but they weren't winning championships. My point is, this is worse because it looks like the Mets could be really, really, really bad and the Yankees really, 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 really good. Championship good. And so far, the two games in this Subway Series has perfectly, perfectly exemplified exactly what the future holds. It's a bad time. It's a sad time. For the Yankee fan, good for you. You should be giddy. Oh, my. If I was a Yankee fan right now, I don't know what I would do. I don't know what the hell I would do. Because I don't know what it feels like. I was thinking about that. When have I, as a fan, and I have an answer. When have I, as a fan, felt so confident about a team and looked down at my rival in New York with such pity? And the only thing I could ever come up with in my lifetime was the Nets' ownage of the Knicks. It's the only thing I could come up with. Because even the Mets in 2015 were in the World Series. First of all, the Mets lost, and the Yankees were a playoff team that year. I know they were an uninspired playoff team, but they were a playoff team that year. You want to tell me 16 when the Yankees were selling, brilliantly selling, and the Mets were limping? I know they played well, but limping to a wild card berth where they'd lose their one game? 06? When the Mets had the week of owning this town after the Yankees lost to the Tigers and the Mets beat the Dodgers? Jets and Giants, forget about what? The Jets in the AFC Championship game? Give me a break. They're in the championship game, two years removed from the Giants winning a Super Bowl. I mean, seriously, what the hell do you have then? The best I have was the ownage of the Knicks in 02, 03, 04. I cherish that. I miss that. And I want to thank, there's a friend of mine who sent me a clip, randomly, a clip of Kenyon Martin just destroying Antoine Walker. And it made me smile because there's nothing else. So, Met fans, cry in your pity because I'm crying with you. And now I'm going to try to go to sleep. This has been a Saturday night Mets-Yankees instant reaction podcast. Good night.